running for the touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. Always exciting to play at home. We all want to play at home, and this is an unbelievable venue to play at. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. On a personal level for me, I just we can't wait to get to game day, right? We can't wait to get on the grass. JT The Brick. Cars up underneath James. Going to fire quickly. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your host, JT The Brick. All right, here we go. Friday, I'm at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, JT. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. We've got a whole bunch of new promotions coming in December at Golden Entertainment as they own the Strat. All the entertainment that they have there is incredible. Arizona Charlie's and the 64-plus PT's throughout town here. I go to the SG Bar, which I love, at the top of Flamingo. At the 2.15. So quick show for me today. I've been called in again to host the Silver and Black Show. My conversation coming up momentarily with Rich Passaccia, the head coach of the Raiders. Last night, the Cowboys won a really ugly game. Taysom Hill was a disaster for the New Orleans Saints. And the Cowboys win a game, which is important to the Washington football team that comes in this week. I want to thank all of our listeners. This was a good week for us. We had a lot of great guests Spent a lot of time talking about the Washington football team. I really think we did a nice job with all the guests we had from Joe Theismann, uh, some of the other insiders that we had, Tom Flores, talking about the history of the rivalry, Jay Schrader, and then our insiders. And we have one coming up in Vinny Bonsignor. We had Paul Gutierrez, Vic Tafer on this week. So we think we're all over it here as we get you ready for this game. Quick reminder, Sunday, come see me. I'll be at the Torch. Right there, when you come up to the second level there, it's the gathering spot. You can listen to the band. You can watch some of the games on TV. You can come take a selfie with the great Eric Allen. I'm telling you, Eric takes a lot of pictures. I take a few with him. But everybody wants to hang out with EA and enjoy some time with him. So we're going to get into Washington. We're going to get into the opportunity to win a game for the Raiders and get to 7-5 and five on the year. It feels like this is a must-win game for both franchises. It is because the Raiders are still alive and are in a really good spot if they win this game. Washington has to win the game. But Washington's already got a better playoff uh, seeding than the Raiders have. They're the seventh seed as of today, but I don't think they're going to catch the Cowboys long term. So as we talk about Washington before I get into the conversation with the coach, they're physical, they like to control the clock, and they want to run the football. That's what they want to do on offense. We're aware of that. On defense, they give up less points than the Raiders. They give up 25.6 points a game. We've talked about the struggles of the Raiders and what's happening with the Raiders overall and the points they're giving up, 26.8. Last three games for the Raiders, really struggling on defense. Maybe it doesn't tell the whole story because the offense was struggling in those games. But the Raiders are coming off three games in a row where they've given up over 30 points. Uh, They gave up 33 to the Cowboys, 32 to the Bengals, and they beat the Cowboys, lost to the Bengals, and gave up 41 against the Chiefs. So when you look at these games and how many points they're giving up, that has to stop here. Gus Bradley spoke about it yesterday. We'll touch on that. This defense needs to have a big game. They got a lot of guys getting Pro Bowl recognition from Nate Hobbs, Yannick Ngakwe, Max Crosby, Casey Hayward, John Abrams having Improved year, no doubt about it. And then the individual stats of Trayvon Merrick are really good. 
the fact that uh, there's just not a lot of balls thrown his way, and when they are, he defends them. He's playing a great free safety this year. you got to appreciate what he's doing there. So I like the Raiders coming into the game. I told you, I think Monday or Tuesday, and on a scale of 1 to 10, I was about an 8 in concern here. But the way Deshaun Jackson practiced this week, we don't know what's happening with Darren Waller. We'll find out. We'll talk to Vinny Bonsignor on that. Carl Nassib, the injury. It's great to see Trayvon Mullen coming back. That was very important. And to just hope that the Raiders are getting healthier at the right time, including Josh Jacobs, who showed up on the injury report with an ankle but was running real well in Dallas, and I hope he's going to be ready to go at 100% here. So that's where we're at. We want to thank all of our partners this week. Also a reminder, check out the Silver and Black Show. That show comes on Saturday right after SEC football. I sit around in my backyard. I say, hey, I'm going to be on TV, hosting him with the coach. And then the SEC goes into overtime, and they actually play it. They actually get to it right after CBS's postgame show. So check out my conversation with Ritz Passaccia. Here it is. I sat down with the coach on Thursday to talk about the great win in Dallas, how that felt, and then preview the Washington football team. Coach, epic win on Thanksgiving. Let's go back to it first. And how did you feel personally after the game? You close them out in overtime. It's one of the most watched football games of all time, almost 30 years. What was the moment like back in the locker room with your coaches and players as you celebrated that win? Yeah, well, certainly it was exciting, you know, uh, going in there and, and playing in that venue at that time slot on Thanksgiving Day and, and to come out of there um, with a victory um, in the way in which we did it going into overtime and just kept competing and competing and competing all the way to the bitter end. So, you know, we went through a little chaotic situation on the field uh, towards the end of the game trying to shake hands. So I think we, we addressed that. Our guys did a great job, I thought, with that particular situation in the locker room. And then we celebrated the victory and, and uh, got dressed and tried to get out of there and get home. Did you feel the Raider Nation there? There were a lot of fans there, even though it was a big crowd for oh, Dallas. Yeah. The, 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 the Raider Nation <laughs> travels well, you know, so we got a chance to see them going into the parking lot. We got a chance to see them coming out. They always seem to stay, hold up the, the banners and hold up the, the Raider shield and those things coming out. So it was always, it's always good to see them going in and coming out. As we wait for the status for Darren Waller on Sunday, tell me about Foster Moreau and your relationship with him and how he's growing as a leader. And what, what can we expect? Because when Darren was out against Philadelphia, he stepped up, Foster, and had a big game. And we're expecting him to play big the rest of the way. Yeah, I guess you can expect the same thing, right? Um, he's shouldered the responsibility of more type snaps on offense. He plays a lot for us in the kicking game. He does things as a true Y for us on the line of scrimmage, and he can do things for us as we've seen in the passing game. He makes that big catch over the back of the helmet a few weeks ago. So we're expecting him to perform true to form as he's done all year. The Washington football team, wow, three in a row. They're in the playoffs as of now. It's the seventh seed in the NFC. This winning streak, what they're doing, it seems like it's all ball control. 41 minutes against Seattle on 43 rushes. When you look at the tape, what do you see with this team? Well, I see we see a team that, that plays to the bitter end as well. They're finding a way to win. They've, they've lost kickers. They've lost defensive ends. They've lost personnel people. But they just have a gritty personality about them where they find ways to win. I think they're playing a lot towards their quarterback. He's hard to bring down. He can extend plays um, on third down. He's not afraid to zip the ball in there. We saw it on Monday night to make big plays. And then... They're really stout up front on defense with their two inside players and what they're doing with Collins, putting him in the box now. And I think Coach Del Rio's done a great job of adapting to his personnel and playing physical. They're ball hawking on defense, but it does start with the run game from them, you know. Speaking so. of physical, you have Denzel Perryman.
and leading the league in tackles, solo tackles. I'm assuming big game for him here, the way they like to run it up the middle, how physical they are, and he's a guy who can get to the ball. Certainly, but it'll, it'll start up front for us like normal. Those front four guys and the way they've been playing, they set the tempo for us not only in the game, but the way in which they lead in the locker room and the way in which they lead on the practice field. So we'll look for them to do the same as well. Let's go to Max and Yannick and what they're doing. One gets doubled, the other has a big game. I was thinking of Howie Long and Greg Townsend back in the day. One day someone's feasting with all the numbers and sacks as the other guy's getting double teamed. Is there a comparison there? Well, I just think their energy, again, not only in the locker room and on the practice field, but what they bring to us on game day and the way in which they compete. I think they're at an unprecedented level in the way in which they compete during the course of the game. They're in supreme physical condition, and they just go and go and go and go. And that's not, um, you know, mistake what Quentin's doing inside yeah. and what Big Hank is doing inside. And then we come in there with Solomon as well, and, and uh, Square's been doing a good job in there. So I think they've they've been picking each other up. We've had good rushes from Carl, and Cleese played inside a little bit on third down. He's played outside, so it, it starts up front with us right now. Let's move to your offense, and what are you seeing with Josh Jacobs? He had his best game, and he really had a burst. He was running physically. He got to the second level there. Can we count on him here now the second half of the year? He looks like physically he's in the best shape of the season. We'd like to think so. He's had good weeks of practices, and, and uh, you, you know, you've seen us – you've seen Greg get um, – Kenyon involved as well, not only in the pass game, but in the run game. We're starting to move people a little bit up front. We're playing a little bit better up front as well. We're getting a little bit of an identity of running the football. We had some good runs in crucial situations in overtime. And then what we've done in the run game has really done a good job for us, play action pass-wise and giving Derek a chance to step up inside and really make some explosive plays. And the way you've used Marcus Mariota, but touch on Derek's run. That's a big deal. Now that he's seen that he could do that and have a big explosive run, a lot of people have been talking about that in the media, nationally and locally. That run was significant for him to get going again. Certainly a great sense of timing from yeah. Derek, right, and when to do that. And he's done that before. So it's just that when he gets himself in position where he can finish with a throw, I know he'd rather do that. But certainly if he can understand the timing, which he does, of when he can run and when not to, he'll do a good job with that also. Coach, I want to talk about the penalties. You've never been involved in a game with 28 total penalties. It was a very interesting game, and you won that game. When you looked at the tape, are there easy penalties to clean up, mental, pre-snap? What do you think of that? Well, I think we've talked about some of the penalties that weren't called were almost yeah. more egregious of the ones that were called. So it just became one of those games for both teams. But we like to look at it. There's, there's concentration penalties, which we need to take care of. We can do a good job with that, not only in practice, but how we're focused in the particular drive in the game. Then there's judgment penalties, the OPIs, the defensive pass interferences, kind of leave those up to the officials at times. And then there's the not-so-smart penalties, you know, the ones that we want to don't be selfish at the time and, and uh, mess up a whole drive for us and don't let one of those penalties affect the outcome of the game. So we talk about them all the time. We try to address them in practice. And, you know, we don't want to take the aggressiveness away of our players, but we also want to be a little bit smarter as to when those penalties are committed. And Daniel Carlson, second time AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. What a clutch performance. Again. You know, if you give him the opportunity in the yeah. right venue, uh, hopefully he can perform like he's been performing. Can't say enough about the protection in front of him. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting this week if we don't get Trent back, you know, for the game. We've got a new snapper working this week, and we can get that battery working well for us. We should expect the same from Daniel. Good luck against Washington, Coach. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that. I thought Coach was in a really good mood. I'm happy he shared some things with me after of the interview, after we took the mics off and we were talking around. He was in a good place. He's in a good spot right now as a head coach, and his team is feeling good. They have confidence again. I think the confidence is only going to grow with another win against Washington. As Coach said, we're probably going to have to wait until Sunday until Darren Waller is officially ruled in or out. And it's important that Foster Moreau shows up and plays a really good game. He's got to have a game like he had against Philadelphia, as we talked about. 
If he plays, he catches five or six balls, 50, 60 yards, and a touchdown. I'll take that all day. Uh, Josh Jacobs, as we mentioned, he's got 420 yards this year, six touchdowns. We need a big productive game out of him. Congratulations so far to Derek Carr. He leads the NFL in passing yards, 3,414. That's a great number. He's on pace for 5,000 yards. Derek could have a career year here, and he leads Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford and Patrick Mahomes in that category. He's completing it at 67.3%, 17 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. He's been sacked 25 times, and he's got a quarterback rating of 97.3. So it's another game that we got to expect him to play big. Hunter Renfro leads the team with receiving yards of 658. And then the big stat that's making the run, Denzel Perryman, 121 tackles, leading the AFC as the NFL leader here. This is a fantastic signing by the Raiders and Mike Mayock. And I think Denzel's going to have to have a really good game here because they like to just run it up the middle. They want to run it directly up the middle at the nose tackles. They want to get in the gaps and go right at the middle linebacker. So this could be a great game for Denzel Perryman to get 13 or 14 tackles again because they're going to be running right at him, right at him the entire game. And Foster Moreau, I'm looking at his stats in front of me, 11 games played, only 12 receptions on 19 targets for 135 yards and three touchdowns. I think he's going to be an X factor in this game, and he's going to have to have an outstanding performance. But again, thanks to head coach Rich Passaccia, who is definitely, I wouldn't say wound up, but he seems to be in a much better, looser mood than any time I've talked to him, and every time it's been super pleasant. He understands what's at stake here. He has a lot of respect for this quarterback and what Heineke can do outside the pocket and how competitive they are. Ron Rivera has a lot of respect for the Raiders. I've talked to him. He's been a frequent guest over the years when I had a chance to emcee the Gene Upshaw golf tournament, Hall of Fame golf tournament up in Lake Tahoe. He was a mainstay, and we would hang out at that event at the golf tournament and at the gala at night, and all the Raider legends would be around. He had a great relationship with the late Gene Upshaw, and he understands the Raiders and the history. And his speech after that victory that they just had on a short week on Monday night, that team is sky high as they come to Vegas tomorrow. I think they're coming tomorrow. That would be, or maybe they're coming, excuse me, Friday, uh, a little bit later on today uh, sometime. But this team's going to be ready to go, and they're going to be fired up. And Terry McClellan on the outside, a great wide receiver who can make big plays, and they're going to run it. Coming off a game where they had time of possession for 41 minutes on 43 carries, they gave you. They gave you the game plan, unless I guess wrong, and they come out and they're throwing it all over Allegiant Stadium. They've been proving in these last couple of games that they want to run the football and they want to run it hard, and they're going to run at the Raiders until the Raiders stop it, and I think this could benefit the Las Vegas Raiders because Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe are spending a lot of time trying to get to the quarterback, and if they're handing it off up the middle, that'll keep their legs fresher for later in the game where this game's going to come down to the fourth quarter and a lot of big decisions between Rich Passaccia and his staff, led by Gus Bradley on defense, Greg Olson on the offense, and Jack Del Rio is going to have this team wound up. This is the game that Jack Del Rio wants in Las Vegas where he thought he'd be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders for quite some time. Three-game winning streak for Washington. It started with the win against the Buccaneers, 29-19. Panthers on the road, 27-21.
and home against the Seahawks on Monday night, 17-15. to Before that, they lost four games in a row. Broncos, Packers, Chiefs, and Saints. So this team hasn't won against the AFC West, and we don't want it to start now. So thanks to Rich Passaccia. When we come back, our teammate Vinny Bonsignor will join us from Raider Nation Radio. We'll go around the league, talk to him about a couple of issues. Lee Sterling will pick games for us as he does every Friday. Hope you're having a good weekend. Come see us out at the J-Lot for the pregame. And make sure you see me with the Remy Martin. Remy Martin team up for excellence. Got a great event coming up here that I wanted to tell everybody about. If you've never been to Lavo Brunch, Lavo has one of the best brunches in all of Vegas. It's the Lavo Party Brunch, the brunch before Christmas, presented by Remy Martin. That's Saturday, December 11th. It's just brunch, but it gets a little wild. Inside the Venetian, brought to you by Remy Martin. JT, inside the building today for the Silver and Black Show and doing radio for an hour. Thanks to Q for picking up the other hour as we continue on. Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of your Las Vegas Raiders. JT, back with you on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Uh, Bobby decided to make an executive decision today because he's the executive producer. Uh, We got a lot of downloads, some of the biggest downloads we've had here with my Brett Musburger interview. Brett Musburger, the voice of the Raiders, came on with me earlier this week, and we had a lot to say. Coming off Thanksgiving, the road trip in Dallas, and how Brent Musburger's been since. Here's my conversation with the legendary Brett Musburger. Brent, I know you had a great Thanksgiving on the road in Dallas. How have you been since? Uh, I've been great, uh, JT. Nice nice talking to you. You and Eric did a great great job on uh, Thanksgiving Day, getting everybody fired up. And, it, and indeed, it was one that uh, I think the victory actually saved the Raiders' season. I was so happy for, for Derek Carr. He made one big play after another. Even that scramble for 22 yards brought me out of my seat. If you know what I mean. <laughs> For sure. And, Brent, a lot of the, you know, you revolutionized the studio show. A lot of the guys in the studio back at CBS and NFL Network, they didn't give the Raiders a chance. They checked every Cowboy box. And I got to give Rich Passaccia and the coaches credit. They coached that game. It was, it was sloppy with a lot of penalties, both sides. But the Raiders executed in overtime perfectly to win the game. Yeah, they forced a three and out. I mean, that was very, very big. You know, a lot is made of numbers, JT. I'm a possession guy. I go and look very carefully after a game at the possessions and what's the end game. And if you go look at that, uh, the defense overall wasn't that bad. They got the ball back from the Cowboys a lot during that game. And, of course, they found the corner, the left corner, and they were able to pick on him relentlessly. The one thing about the NFL, when they spot a weakness upstairs in the box, they keep going at it. And so it was a great job of scouting that Cowboys secondary during the game because of all the pass interference calls. But I do, I do want to follow up on what you were saying about Washington. And I want to alert everybody that this Washington football team is better than people think they are. Okay. Uh, Coach, Coach Rivera, after the four game losing streak, they went into the bye and he changed things around. He went back to Rivera football and they had the ball for over 40 minutes against Seattle on Monday night, they kept Russell Wilson off the field. 
they will attempt to do that to the Raiders again. So our linebackers and Abram and the fellows on the corner better get ready because the, the Washington football team is coming to run the football. Now, they do have, because they played on Monday, they are at a disadvantage, and I was just checking their injury list. I wanted to see who was missing from practice today. Their outstanding safety, Landon Collins, mm-hmm. J.T., did not go, nor did backup running back J.D. McKissick, and he has been listed as questionable. So for those who like to make a little wager here in Las Vegas <laughs> on your favorite Raider team, keep an eye on those injuries. You know what I mean, my man? I got you, my man. Brent Musburger joins us. Uh, Brent, I want to jump into a bunch of topics. First, let's get this sure. one out of the way about the Raiders and what you've seen this year with your great career, what happened with the John Gruden resignation and the Henry Ruggs fatality car accident that took the life of Tina Tintor. I don't think maybe you can answer this. I don't know of a football team in season that has remotely gone through anything like this in the history, 100-plus history of the NFL. How have you digested all this emotion on and off the field as you're covering this team? Uh, I totally agree with you. I don't think any team has gone through this. Obviously, John Gruden is a a very dear friend of mine, and and I spoke to him uh, the day after he stepped down. I, I had a nice talk with him on the telephone, and of course, the team responded with a couple of wins, but then after the tragedy involving rugs, it kind of took their breath away, and it was so much. I, I don't think people realize uh, how emotionally draining things like that can be. Uh, and Derek Carr, Derek Carr had started to thrive under Coach Gruden, so I really thought that he missed him, and then his best deep threat is suddenly gone for the season. You have to remake so many things. Now, the youngsters and the coaches, and God bless Rich Bisacci, he's such a great guy, pull for him all the time. Uh, they said the right things, but I knew they were hurting. They had to be deep down, as so many people were uh, throughout this period. But they sort of stayed the course. And, and like I say, as far as I'm concerned, the Thanksgiving Day victory saved their season. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're automatically going to go to the playoffs. It's a tough stretch. It's a tough finishing stretch, and almost everybody in the AFC is a playoff contender. Uh, I think they've set a record for how many teams are 500 or over right now uh, coming into week, week 13. But it was, it was very draining even for me. Uh, I was a huge, huge Rugs fan on the field. Uh, I remember his, his great game-winning catch against the Jets. Uh, I remember how he went up and he high-pointed Howard of Miami, took the ball. Things like that, JT, it was hard on me. I, and, and even now, I miss him uh, dearly not being out there. And the other day, uh, one of the games, it wasn't a Dallas game. I think it was a previous game. I think there were 13 penalties uh, against the Raiders and, like, none against the Bengals until the fourth quarter. I can only say to myself, that would never have happened under Gruden because Gruden, he would have buried the side judge in front of me. But you know what I mean? Okay. So, so it was a, it's something I missed dearly. I'm pulling for the guys going forward. I thought Deshaun Jackson, by the way, turned in maybe the biggest play of the year when he came down the sideline on that 56 yard touchdown uh, on the Raiders first series against the Cowboys. I thought that was, I thought that was that uplifting moment when Derek Carr and the offense said, wait a minute, this guy's still got some juice. Uh, Maybe we can get some mileage out of him. So it's, but but they've asked the Raiders to do a lot. Uh, I think ownership has handled this extremely well going forward. 
you would think that Mark Davis obviously is thinking about next year, but he says he's not. He's focused on this year. And that, that is what he should say. And that is what he should stand behind and back Versace and the, and the rest of the coaches. Brent Musburger joins us. And Brent, should we make anything out of the 650,000 emails from the Washington football team that had a deep effect on Mark Davis's team with the Gruden resignation and what's happened and John Gruden and no one defends the emails and the contents of the emails but the effect that it had on an organization in Vegas when it was all about the Washington football team and an investigation where everybody would like the league to be a little bit more transparent. I mean, we don't have anything to look at. Uh, there was a couple of congresswomen who that want to talk to Roger Goodell, maybe have him up on Capitol Hill. This is a major storyline, and John Gruden suing the league. Yeah, and I certainly understand uh, Gruden's feeling, and I understand Mark Davis's feeling about this too. That, uh, however, I, I do want to point out one thing that that. It makes this story kind of messy. And first of all, mm-hmm. as I told Coach, whoever took you out, John, that was a paid assassin. Okay, that that was one of the best hit jobs that I've been a, ever been around. Okay, they did they didn't go to their media goombas. They didn't leak this to Adam Schefter uh, or one of those guys who breaks stories. They first went to the Wall Street Journal, and when Gruden was still coaching after that, then they dumped the rest of it on the New York Times. That was a professional hit job, but I want to tell everybody that I'm not completely sure it was somebody in the NFL. There was a second lawsuit involved, okay, uh, between the owner, Snyder of Washington, and a former general manager. And that means that a lot of outside people had access to those emails that they were going through. So I'm, I think the hardest part for Gruden's lawyers to prove is that some from the National Football League actually leaked that because if it is somebody from the NFL, shame on them, okay? Mm-hmm. Because Mark Davis should have been told in the summer when he had something to do about it. Now, my ultimate second guess, and believe me, this came from James Lofton in a, in a conversation we had when he was in town broadcasting a game. I, hindsight's twenty twenty, But I wish, if, if we look at Ezekiel Elliott, he was suspended for six games, okay? Uh, for sexual transgressions. I wish that Coach Gruden had been suspended uh, for four, five, or six games. to tell. But again, I want to be perfectly clear about this. This is the ultimate second guess by me. I didn't think of it at the time. Um, I, I didn't think that John's career should be ruined by his stupidity. Uh, it had been so long ago. Uh, I just don't think we, we need to out people for that. Uh, but so be it. You know, uh, the Raiders have to pick up and go forward, and and we will see what happens. Brent Musburger joins us. So, Brent, let's move on to a couple other storylines. How's it been for you personally now to be broadcasting, you know, on the road again? You have so many friends, and I'm talking about not only broadcasters and coaches, but guys who are handling the cameras, people you worked at with throughout your career. What has it been like getting back on the road with your son, Scott Lincoln Kennedy? Because compared to what was happening at Allegiant Stadium at the beginning of COVID, how much have you enjoyed getting out on the road again? Uh, you know, I, I've loved every minute of it. Uh, obviously, working with Lincoln Kennedy has been a treat. Uh, he's such a great guy to, to be around. And, and when you go in and out in stadiums, I just get in behind him a couple of steps and let him <laughs> clear the way. Okay. So, and, I, and Scott, of course, is a good traveling buddy and like that. And 
got to see so many people from CBS work with Jim Nance. So many of those uh, cameramen were actually there at CBS back in the days of the uh, NFL today. I guess my favorite moment is we were Lincoln and I and Scott were waiting for the elevator after the Cowboy game and, and the fellow who was managing traffic there standing up and he came back and he said, Oh, he said, uh, you know, I remember you from all oh, back with Phyllis George and Jimmy the Greek and Herb Cross. I guess I can forgive you for wearing that Raider cap today. You know, so <laughs> it, was, it was kind of cute. He was so nice. And uh, overall, uh, the people have been great. I love the fans. I love to be around them. Uh, I love their input. That's, that's the reason why this is a big business is because of, of the fans, not because of us. Uh, it's the people who call JT. It's the people who watch on Thursday. I mean, that was an enormous, an enormous audience. I've had people tell me it wasn't yeah. the best football game I ever saw, but it was one of the most entertaining. And I think that's great. That's what the NFL stands for is great entertainment. Brent Musburger joins us from your Decades in college football when you see Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame to go to LSU. And then Lincoln Riley, as we talked, I have a son who's a junior at Oklahoma, and I watched Lincoln Riley coach at Oklahoma this year. And I go, wait, wait, Brent, the timeline doesn't match. He's coaching Bedlam. He's getting out coached by Gundy. He says it's midnight. He's, he's traveling back. And then the next day, he's the USC head coach. And Kelly's texting his team after he leaves them. He's already down in Baton Rouge to come back for a meeting. How has this topic evolved in your career with coaches leaving players? And now players get a chance to get in the portal and make decisions on their own, too, to leave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it has changed a lot since I was around it uh, every day, JT. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I have to tell you. I'm not completely surprised by Lincoln Riley, okay? I had heard gossip that he was unhappy with Oklahoma and Texas moving uh, to the SEC. And the reason why is recruiting, because that swings that door wide open uh, for the Alabamas of the world to barge into Texas, where Oklahoma uh, made its living uh, throughout the years. Because uh, you can now tell a youngster, hey, you're going to get to see your son play because we're going to be playing over here. Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, they're now in the SEC. So I wasn't completely surprised. And Southern California is another of those recruiting hotbeds. And that system that Lincoln made work so well down at uh, Norman, Oklahoma, uh, it could work wonders in Southern California. USC can, can become a power elite within a couple of years under his leadership. Having said that, when I heard, and I heard it on television, that Brian Kelly was leading, I almost fell off my couch. Uh, I, I was totally, totally shocked. I knew him very well mm-hmm. back in his Cincinnati days. NBC has the home contract with Notre Dame, so I wasn't around him as much over there. But Notre Dame was his dream job. Now, he's an Irish politician. Uh, he's a son of Irish politicians in the Boston area. And no one works a room. Well, Bill Clinton did, but no one works a room any better than Brian Kelly. A lot of Catholics down in Louisiana He'll be fine. He, he will do well. But it shocked me completely that, that he would leave the fighting Irish. And he's got his hands full because, oh, by the way, you've got to play a dude by the name of Nick Saban every year when you go to LSU. You know what I mean, J.D.? I know what you mean. Wrapping it up with Brent Musburger. Brent, finally, when you got into the space of sports gaming with VEASAN and now the association with DraftKings and Circa and how big it exploded and your vision with a lot of other businessmen and businessmen, including family. Did you ever think 
this platform would explode so quickly now with legalization, the handle in New Jersey, the handle in Nevada, and as you know as a businessman, how the handle's going to increase all over the United States. And what do you see next, Rand? I think a lot of our listeners would like to know, what do you think is the next evolution of sports gaming, media, streaming, and how you see it going forward? Yeah, let me start with that one. Uh, the, ne- the next evolution will be something I have seen uh, in Europe and in Australia. And I didn't actually see it in stadiums, but I was in Asia enough to believe that they've got it. And that's kiosks inside the stadium. And I believe that Wrigley Field is going to open the first one in the United States that has access from the stadium itself to be able to bet during a game or before if you're going into a stadium. Because it has exploded so quickly, and I guess, I guess JT, I'm a little surprised at how quickly it exploded. I knew it was going to be big. Believe me, I, I knew that because I knew how many illegal dollars were being wagered offshore, mm-hmm. and that's money that could have been taxed by the states. And I knew how many people enjoyed coming to Nevada and betting legally and then hanging out, especially at watch parties for March Madness and on Sunday during the, during the NFL season. But the evolution will eventually take us to in-game wagering at the arenas, okay? That in Europe and uh, down in Australia and over in Asia, in-game is much bigger than what we call pre-flop wagering on the games. And I can see here in the United States it's starting to grow because of the apps on the telephone. People can sit in their living room, enjoy a game, and and make a wager as unfolding during timeouts. Of course, they'll... They'll give you an updated line and an updated over-under number. I've always been a recreational better. I, I would not be able to make a living, and I warn everybody, you be really, really careful. These guys who make these numbers, and they've got computers, and they know what they're doing, believe me. So, But if you want to have fun with it, I've always been in favor of it. I think it adds to the enjoyment of the game. I think it helped fuel the, uh, the National Football League. And man, has it ever exploded. You put your finger on it, Jay-Z. Yeah, it's incredible what's happening here. Brent, again, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. The Raiders had a win. There are a lot of games left. It's an honor of mine to come on the broadcast before and after you, sit behind you in the fourth quarter in the booth at home, and still on this journey together, let's have a big push to the postseason. And I really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, thanks a lot, JT. Love your work, my man. I'll listen to you on Sunday. Go into the game, and I'll see you at the stadium. You Take care, it. my man. We appreciate the Godfather for joining us. He made a lot of news on those comments about John Gruden, but that's Brent, and he has the right to speak his mind on everything, and he's got a lot of sources, and he's pulling for the Raiders. He's going to do a great job on Sunday. Really appreciate Brent Musburger and what he's done for me this year with all the kind words, and I'll be up in the booth. In the fourth quarter, before I head to the Modelo Lounge, hopefully Brent's throwing up a couple of jackpot babies and the Raiders can win this game. All right, more from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center uh, coming up on the other side. Vinny Bonsignor will join us as we continue on this gorgeous Friday on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m., brought to you by SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right.
JT back with you on Raider Nation Radio from inside the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Quick reminder, join us Monday night at Doghouse Saloon for Monday Night Football, the newest property out on the Strip. That's Doghouse Saloon right when you walk through the entrance there. Come through the main entrance or the garage. You'll come right out to the Doghouse. That's where the sports book is. Vinny Bonsignor makes his return to the show. And, Vinny, thanks a lot for doing this. I want to jump in and talk about some national topics first. You covered the Rams, and you have a lot of sources around the NFL. What did Stan Kroenke and the league accomplish by settling the lawsuit with the city of St. Louis outside of court? Well, um, it, it sure felt like the NFL said, enough is enough. We don't want this to go any further. There's, um, you know, when things like go to trial and people are called uh, to testify, it opens up all kinds of Pandora's boxes. And I think the NFL just felt like, you know, it's, it, it's time to just put this one to bed um, and kind of initiated uh, a settlement, you know, that's going to end up costing the Rams $790 million. Um, and so that ends that, you know, and I think, you know, it was kind of a, if you go back and, and, and really look at how all of this kind of came about uh, with the Rams and, and how they were able to get out of that lease in, in St. Louis, I always go back to the fact that St. Louis had a decision to make and it was clear and defined uh, in in the original lease that at a certain point in time the Edward Jones Dome um, needed to be uh, you know uh, in the upper echelon of NFL stadiums and if it wasn't at that point which it was when the Rams first moved there but after a certain point um, you know it needed to be kept up to that level and 18 new stadiums opened from across the NFL from the point of, of, of that original lease to when that came due. And so the Edward Jones Dome went from one of the best stadiums to one of the worst stadiums, and somebody needed to pay for the renovations, and it was on the city of St. Louis to, uh, to do that. And they didn't. They opted not to. It was a $700 million um, ruling by an arbitrator that that's what it was going to cost to uh, to get the Edward Jones Dome back uh, to where – it was supposed to be um, based on the original, you know, lease. And they opted not to. And by doing that, it triggered a clause in the lease that allowed the Rams uh, to expedite the, the terms of the lease and become a free agent, essentially, and um, look for a new home. That's what the agreement was. And St. Louis made their decision. The Rams made their decision. So it just it always seemed a little bit dubious to me uh, of what this lawsuit was all about. But as it turns out, they were able to keep it in a local in local courts in the state of Missouri, kind of a hometown feel to it. And all the decisions were going uh, the way of of St. Louis and and Missouri. And ultimately, it kind of forced the NFL's hand to just go ahead and and put this thing uh, uh, to bed where it leads from here. I think it's over and done with, um, and I don't know if it's going to create any kind of precedent. I don't see another city making the agreements that St. Louis did to lure the Rams to St. Louis um, from Southern California as they did back in 1994. Um, that was a huge mistake that St. Louis agreed to, uh, but it's over and done with. Um, I'm sure Stan Kroenke is not happy about having to pay that money. Uh, but at the end of the day, he got what he wanted, and I'm sure the NFL got what it wanted in terms of the Rams in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium, this, you know, uh, the, the Super Bowls and everything else that's going to be there. Um, it all kind of worked out in that regard, but it cost them a little bit more money than they had originally anticipated for sure. 
Vinny Bonsignor joins us, Las Vegas Review-Journal. What do you think about the reaction to Antonio Brown and the fake vaccination in only three games? What are you hearing around the league? Does that seem fair considering we're in a pandemic, the seriousness of this and teams last year and the amount of money they will find and some of the issues that we saw last year? I think that's a pretty light suspension in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, keep in mind that all of these types of things usually have to be agreed upon between the union and, and the owners. So, you know, you can't just arbitrarily, um, you know, make a decision. It has to be something that's been agreed upon and negotiated. But I sure seem, I sure feel like um, the action, especially of Antonio Brown, and this isn't his first, you know, rodeo in terms of um, falling on the wrong side of, of the rules. You know, he's been kind of a... I wouldn't say a habitual, uh, you know, offender, but he's had some issues in the past. And I just think it's so egregious and so irresponsible um, and just such a bad look um, for him, for the league, for the team, um, and dangerous, really, for that matter. And so I'm with you. I think that, you know, and I kind of wish that there was more leverage that, that the NFL could have had um, in, in making it a, a, an even steeper penalty. But it looks like that's as far as they can go with this. And um, I don't know where it goes for Antonio Brown, you know, what his future holds. But if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't want any part of it, to be honest with you. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest. Vinny, a couple of big, important games coming up here. Let's start with the game that we'll be covering, Raiders and Washington football team. Washington had 41 minutes of possession against Seattle. They ran it 43 times. Seems like with Heineke at quarterback, Ron Rivera doesn't want to take a lot of chances and win at the line of scrimmage. What have you seen with Washington over this winning streak, which has been incredible? They're right back in the playoff hunt. They're the seventh seed coming into Vegas on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, Ron Rivera has definitely um, you know, drawn up a, a winning recipe uh, for how that team has to win football games. Is it sustainable? Um, probably not. I think they still need a lot of work, obviously, uh, in, in Washington uh, to get that, uh, that, that program and where Ron Rivera wants it to be. For, but for right now, it's been working. Um, I don't think um, – I, I think the Raiders' defense is better than the Seattle Seahawks' defense, so um, I'm not quite sure they're going to be able to do what they did against the Seahawks against the Raiders, uh, and I do feel like the Raiders have a big advantage up front with their defensive line. They should be able to, um, you know, g- uh, get to uh, to Heineke uh, and maybe, you know, get him to the ground or force some turnovers. That's what they the, the, what they kind of hang their hat on. And I also think that the Raiders' offense is just entirely more explosive uh, than the Seattle Seahawks. So they're going to put some pressure, Derek Carr, on emerging Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, it doesn't look like Darren Waller is going to play, but I still think that they have enough weapons um, to uh, put points up and put a lot of pressure on Washington to not just be a running team, but also be a throwing team. And I think that plays into the hands of the Raiders. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. Let's stay in your wheelhouse with the AFC West. Chargers, Bengals. I think the Chargers, Vinny, are much better than their record. I mean, they just shoot themselves in the foot. It looks like they're going to get on a run, and they could beat anybody. And then what's happened? What have you seen with this offense slowing down and the fact that they're really struggling in a lot of close games here? Yeah, and I think we could uh, you know, hit the rewind button and go back to last year and probably the year before that and the year before that and kind of say the same thing about the Chargers. It always feels like the record doesn't reflect the talent for whatever reason. Um, like you said, they, they shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, but specifically with this Chargers team, 
uh, of late. Number one, they have trouble uh, stopping the run. Uh, well, they're going to go play a team in the Cincinnati Bengals where Joe Mixon uh, is all of a sudden a hot runner, one of the hotter runners in the NFL, uh, going over 100 yards in his last two games. Uh, they've got that thing rolling a little bit with, with Cincinnati, so that's problematic for the Chargers. But then also Justin Herbert hasn't been playing uh, as, as, as well as he's been playing, as efficiently as he's been playing. Uh, there's been some mistakes. Um, the offensive line is not that good for the Chargers. That doesn't help uh, a young quarterback. So uh, going into a – it's going to be cold, I'm sure, in Cincinnati. I think there's rain in the forecast. That probably lends itself more to uh, Cincinnati as well with the run game that they have. Uh, so I think there's some trouble up ahead for the, for the Los Angeles Chargers. But I'll say this. This NFL season has been so wacky and so um, you know topsy turvy that who knows the Chargers might go in there and surprise everybody and and, and win that game. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened because uh, as you said, this is a talented team. They just haven't been able to put it together consistently. Vinny Bonsignor, as we wrap it up, Vinny Sunday night Broncos at Chiefs. I'm shocked that the Broncos are six and five. I got to give Fangio credit. This team saved their season a couple of weeks ago. They know this rivalry. The Chiefs are a heavy favorite. We know what the Chiefs can do with that offense. Is that defense coming around? Do you give the Broncos a puncher's chance in this game? I do give them a puncher's chance uh, only because, you know, you mentioned the defense. Uh, they're good for, for the Denver Broncos. I think they try to keep it close a little bit, and I think they'll, they'll be able to do some things defensively. But ultimately, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are just too good. And Vinny, last one, I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. I keep bringing it up because it doesn't look good right now. I didn't see New England coming like this. I just didn't see it. I didn't think that New England could play at this level. But the one thing that you're really good at, one of the many things, is you saw this team flip their roster. A lot of teams try to do it, and typically Belichick doesn't. You know, build through the draft, he'll bring in a free agent or two. They were very aggressive with their rebuild, and then they got the quarterback that they wanted to trade up and do anything crazy. What have you learned about that model of this year? Are you surprised that New England is ahead of Buffalo coming into this game? Not really. I mean, if you would have said, if you would ask me before the season started, absolutely. But watching them play, you know, and it's probably much to the chagrin of uh, a lot of people in the NFL, uh, but probably not to their surprise that Bill Belichick um, has, has redone this roster, gotten a young quarterback that looks to be, you know, He's probably odds-on uh, favorite to win the uh, to Rookie of the Year honors. Uh, he's really good. He kind of looks and plays a lot like the old guy that was there by the name of Tom Brady. Um, they played defense, and I think they've given up 11 points a game in the last three games. They're, they're the uh, best defense in the NFL scoring-wise. But I will say this. Um, it's going to be crazy cold and crazy weather conditions from what it looks like, projected like, um, in, in Buffalo. So... Uh, and for whatever reason, Buffalo is a favorite in that game. So um, I think that there's something going on. I, you know, as, as far as Buffalo needing that win, it's it's in their uh, home stadium. It's going to be a crazy weather game. It looks like um, things might be wor- might be working out for Buffalo in that regard. But these two teams play each other twice over the next three or four weeks. I think it is. So we're going to find out pretty quick here uh, or pretty soon. Uh, who the best team in the AFC uh, East is. Maybe that's the best team in the AFC uh, altogether, but I'm not surprised anymore at what Bill Belichick and the Patriots are able to do. Thank you, Vinny. I'll see you Sunday. I always appreciate your time, buddy. You too, JT. Take care. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Vinny for jumping in here today and doing this on short notice. Vinny's one of the best NFL insiders in the country, and we got him right here at the Las Vegas Review-Journal and our teammate here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Check me out this weekend. 
on Facebook, on Twitter at JT The Brick. The coaches interview on TV on the Silver and Black Show, and that'll air on Saturday. Sunday, I'll be in the J-Lot at the Black Hole Tailgate, and then Sunday morning, 90-minute pregame show with Eric Allen at the Torch. That sounds like a big weekend to me. Going to see Journey tonight at Virgin Hotels, so I'll be at Virgin, which I love. One steak with the great John O'Donnell. I'll be there early tonight with my wife. Check out Journey with Boz. And then we'll pop into a really good weekend. Thanks a lot for Q for stepping in on Fridays as I'm here at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, jumping on Raiders TV. Find everything you need at Raiders.com. I'm JT. Have a great weekend, everybody.